Welcome to the East Memorial Student Podcast, your source for the biblical teaching of East Memorial Student Ministries. I'm your host, Matthew Ronsky, pastor of Students and Discipleship at East Memorial Baptist Church in Prattville, Alabama. A hero versus a villain, right? And you have a hero versus villain pair in the movies, and typically there's like a final showdown at the end of the movie between the two guys. And then what are some famous pairs? What, what are some famous ones that stick out to you? What's that? Black Adam against two. The red guy. Okay, that's not very good. What else? What else? You got like... Okay, Spider-Man and Green Goblin. Yeah, at least, at least in the, the first movie. So, what's that? Okay, the Avengers versus Thanos. Yeah, now that's kind of like a big group against one. But like Harry Potter versus Voldemort, right? So, anybody watch Harry Potter in here? I know sometimes because that's witchcraft, you know, not everybody watches that movie. Or, uh, yeah, Batman vs. Joker, that's pretty famous. Or do I have any Lord of the Ring nerds in here? Lord of the Ring. So, you have, uh, um, uh, oh man, Gandalf versus, um, yeah, Sauron, right? Uh, no, uh, not, not, the, not the evil eye guy, but the, the other wizard. What's the other guy's name? Saruman, right? Yeah, Saruman. Yeah, there you go. Uh, that's a pretty famous, you know, duel. There's some others that you might be able to think about, but it is a pretty common theme if you really think about it. And, uh, and in Scripture, it's no different. There's a lot of highlighted hero versus villain pairs even in Scripture, like Cain and Abel, Moses and Pharaoh, David and Goliath. All right, we can think of we can think of many examples, and so there 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 is this theme, and and really, in what we're going to see tonight, there is even a greater hero versus villain pair with a final showdown and a time in the future, and that is between the Son of God, Jesus Christ, and the Antichrist, a a famous hero versus villain pair where there will be a final showdown in the future. And as we continue in Daniel 7 tonight, we are going to see that these two figures, Jesus Christ and the Antichrist, will become a major focus in the remaining portion of this chapter and in Daniel's vision. So last week, if you were here, we covered the first part of Daniel's vision in in chapter 7, and we ended up in all the way in verse 8, so covered 1 through 8, and Uh, For those that were not here, that, of course, includes the four beasts that we covered in detail last week, and we went through, and maybe we'll review that a little bit this Sunday, but we left off in verse 8, and so today, as we continue, we're going to pick up in verse 9 and really look at another, really the next scene of Daniel's vision in this chapter. So if you're not already there, turn with me to Daniel 7, and we're going to start in verse 9 this evening. And so it says here, and this is Daniel recording what he saw, he says, I kept looking until thrones were set up, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His vesture, or his clothing, was like white snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was ablaze with flames, its wheels were a burning fire. A river of fire was flowing and coming out from before him. 
Thousands upon thousands were attending him, and myriads upon myriads were standing before him. The court sat, and the books were opened. So pausing here for a moment, we read in these two verses Daniel's record of a vision that he sees of the heavenly throne of God. This is the heavenly throne of God that is in heaven, and he sees upon the throne who he calls the Ancient of Days. Now, the Ancient of Days is a title, and it is a title for God that speaks to his eternal nature, the fact that he has no beginning. That's what it means by Ancient of Days. In fact, one reference that relates to this, you don't have to turn there, but I'll read it to you in the first part of Psalm 55, verse 19. It says, God will hear and answer them, even the one who sits enthroned from from of old. And so that concept there of old is very similar to the idea of the ancient of days, meaning he's eternal. And this is a title for God that appears here in Daniel chapter 7. Now, as we also read in these few verses, God is depicted in this vision as being covered in the purest white that you can imagine, from his hair to his clothing. It's pure white, very bright white, and then he's sitting on a throne of fire. And it, it, it means like a, a, th- a throne that is of flaming fire. So the throne itself is of flaming fire, and there is a river of fire coming out in front of him. And so you can imagine the, the, the white robes, the white hair. There's other visions of this same throne scene where his eyes are described as flaming torches. So even his eyes look like fire. And there, in another portion, it talks about his face being like the appearance of lightning. And so you can just, as we read this, one, think of the brightness of all of this, the white, the fire, the, the lightning that is described elsewhere in the Bible. This is a pretty awesome and really terrifying vision of God in his full glory. Now, Daniel is not seeing this in heaven. He's not actually in heaven, but he is seeing a vision of the throne in heaven. And because it's a vision, he's, of course, protected from the glory of God, but, but nonetheless, he is seeing this vision of God in his full, uncovered glory and all of the power that it represents. So he sees this. God takes his seat on his throne. It mentions that the court sat and the books were open. And this is signifying that judgment is about to begin. That judgment is about to begin. Now, as we continue and as Daniel sees this awesome vision, we're going to read that his attention is turned toward a boastful, what we could even say chirping, of another figure. So here there's this awesome vision, but then it's like off to the side, he hears these just this boastful chatter and words from another figure. And so let's read about that, starting in verse 11. So back in Daniel 7, verse 11, he says, Then I kept looking because of the sound of the boastful words which the horn was speaking, I kept looking until the beast was slain and its body was destroyed and given to the burning fire. Now, pausing here for a moment, this horn that he mentions, this was introduced, this horn was introduced in verse 8 of this chapter. And as I mentioned last week, this little horn is none other than the Antichrist who will come to power 
in the time immediately before the return of Jesus Christ. So this is a time that is still in the future, not only from Daniel's perspective, but even from our perspective. It is even in the future from our perspective. And this is the little horn that he hears with his boastful words. And as we see here, there's a glimpse of the eventual end of this Antichrist. And as we read, it says that his body was destroyed and given to the burning fire. In fact, I want to read you one verse from Revelation that describes this end in more detail. So I'm going to read, read to you from Revelation 19, verse 20. Revelation 19, verse 20. And this is speaking of the same Antichrist figure. It even uses the beast language that we see in Daniel 7. And it says, And the beast was seized, and with him the false prophet who performed the signs in his presence, by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire, which burns with brimstone. And so what's going on in Revelation 19 here is this is talking about the return of Christ at the battle of Armageddon, and he comes back and literally seizes the Antichrist and his false prophet and throws them alive into the lake of fire. And if you're not familiar with the lake of fire, the lake of fire is described in Revelation as the final place of torment that was created for Satan and his angels. Now, all of the wicked people, the wicked angels, and Satan himself, they will eventually go into this lake of fire. This is the fate of all the wicked. They will be conscious, they will feel the pain, and they will be tormented day and night for eternity. But the Antichrist and his false prophet, they get the honor of going into that lake of fire first. First, before the thousand-year kingdom is complete. According to Revelation, Jesus returns, establishes his a thousand-year kingdom. All of the wicked who have died, even Satan, they are in prison for that a thousand years. They remain kind of locked away, so to speak, like in jail. And then at the end of the thousand years, after a final showdown between Christ and Satan, Scripture talks about what's known as the Great White Throne Judgment, where all of the wicked dead are brought back to life, they're raised to life, given a new body, and then they're judged. They're judged based on all of the evil things that they've done in their life. And at that time, all of the wicked people who have ever lived and Satan himself will be thrown into the lake of fire. But here in Revelation 19, the Antichrist and the beast, they go there immediately before the thousand years are completed. They are there first. And so this is the judgment that Daniel 7 verse 11 references when it says that his body was destroyed and given to the burning fire, this is what that is talking about, the Antichrist being thrown into the lake of fire. And so Daniel, in his vision of Daniel 7, he gets a glimpse of this future. But this is not the only outcome in the future that Daniel sees. If you'll continue in verse 12, we see another future outcome of events. So Daniel 7, verse 12, Daniel continues and he says, As for the rest of the beasts, their dominion was taken away, but an extension of life was granted to them for an appointed period of time. 
And so what this tells us is that at the same time, the Antichrist, who if you remember is represented by the fourth beast in the vision, the same time that he is thrown into the lake of fire, the other kings who are represented by the first three beasts, they will lose whatever dominion and earthly authority that they have at that time. All of their power will be stripped away from them. However, they're not going to be destroyed at that time like the Antichrist and his false prophet. As it says, they will have an extension of life that will be granted to them for an appointed period of time. Now, as we will see shortly, and as I mentioned last week, the beasts, these first three beasts, they represent kings who rule over the kingdoms. And if you remember from last week, I made the argument that these kings are actually angelic rulers who are behind the human kingdoms of the world. And, and this is further proof of that because these kings are alive during the time of the Antichrist, which means that these kings have a lifetime of thousands of years because Daniel was more than 2,000 years from our point of view, and this event is still future. So we're talking about kings represented by those beasts who, are, who literally live for thousands and thousands of years. And I think this is further proof that these are angelic kings who rule over the kingdoms of men behind the scenes. And according to this part of the vision, when Christ returns and the Antichrist is destroyed, all of these angelic rulers, their authority, their dominion will be stripped away from them, but they'll be permitted to live for a little while longer. Now, as the vision continues, starting picking back up in verse 13, we're going to see the focus shift back to the throne of God. So in the past few verses, we just read about this glimpse of the future, this kind of prelude of the future that Daniel is seeing about what's going to happen at the end to the Antichrist and the other kings. Well, now his attention turns back to the throne of God. But this time there's something interesting in a new person who comes onto the scene. So picking back up in verse 13 of Daniel 7, he writes, I kept looking in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like a son of man was coming. And he came up to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom, that all the peoples, nations, and men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away, and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. So as we see here in these two verses, this person called the Son of Man is introduced, who comes up to the Ancient of Days and is presented before him. Now one thing to point out about that is the fact that this Son of Man is distinct from the ancient of days. That's clear. He's a separate person who comes up to the ancient of days. And so what we have is we have two separate persons that are being presented. The first one being the ancient of days, and now this new person who is the son of man. Now the question then comes, who is the son of man? Well, before we answer that, I want to take you to a passage in Isaiah It'll be up on the screen, but, um, so you don't have to turn there, but it's in Isaiah 42, verse 8. Isaiah 42, verse 8. And as we read this, 
it's going to give us a clue as to who this Son of Man is. So here in Isaiah 42, verse 8, it says, and this is God speaking, he says, I am the Lord, or I am Yahweh, that is my name. I will not give my glory to another, nor my praise to graven images. Now what's significant about this verse is it proves that God does not share his glory or his praise with anything or anybody that is not God. God does not share his glory with anybody or anything that is not God. Yet, in Daniel 7, we see the Son of Man who not only receives God's glory, but to whom the entire world will serve and to whom the kingdom of God will belong. So not only does he receive the glory of God, but he receives the praise and the power of God. He receives the worship of God from all the people who live on earth at that time. And what this establishes beyond doubt is that this Son of Man must be God. That's the significance of Isaiah 42, verse 8. In order for this Son of Man to receive this glory from God, to receive this power and this dominion, he must be God as well. And so based on these few verses in Daniel 7, from Daniel's perspective, it is clear that there are at least two persons who are equally God. And that's established right here in Daniel 7. Now there is one more thing to mention that is significant and important, and that is the title Son of Man itself. And this is significant. And why is this significant? Well, if you look in Scripture, the title Son of Man is simply a title for human beings. It's a title for human beings. In fact, back in Daniel 2, I'll just read this one reference to you, Daniel 2 verse 38, you'll see it here in the beginning part. It says, and wherever the sons of men dwell, or the beasts of the fields, or the birds of the sky, he has given them into your hand and has caused you to rule over them all. Now, he's talking about King Nebuchadnezzar in this moment, but it's clear from this verse that the sons of men are human beings. They're human beings. And if you were to look elsewhere in Scripture, there's other verses we could go to. The title son of man is a title that could be used of any human being. And so what's significant about this, this title and the vision itself, is what Daniel is seeing is he is seeing a second person come up to God, the Ancient of Days, who is both God, that's why he's receiving God's glory, but also a human being. This Son of Man is both God and human at the same time. Well, then that leads, okay, well, then who can this be? Well, it can be none other than Jesus Christ, who is fully God and fully human, born of a virgin. And so this Son of Man is Jesus. In fact, in the Gospels, of the New Testament in the Gospels, there are at least 74 verses where Jesus refers to himself as the Son of Man. At least 74 verses. This is, in fact, this title, Son of, the Man, Son of Man, is the favorite title that Jesus applies to himself. He calls himself the Son of Man more than any other title that he could rightfully call himself. In fact, I'll give you one reference relating to this, and that is in Matthew 26, 
Matthew 26, verses 63 to 65. And this is when Jesus has been betrayed by Judas. He's already been betrayed. He's been arrested. And now he's been brought before the Jewish leadership at the day, of the day, including the high priest. He's been put on trial. They're making false accusations. They can't, they can't get their story straight, so they can't prove that he's done anything wrong. And so finally, we read here in verse 63 kind of the conclusion of this trial, and, and it says this. So in Matthew 26, verse 63, it says, But Jesus kept silent, and the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God that you tell us whether you are the Christ, the Son of God. They say, enough. We just want to, like, you tell us. Are you the Son of God? And so in verse 64, Jesus said to him, You have said it yourself. Nevertheless, I tell you, hereafter you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. And so as, as becomes apparent, Jesus is directly referencing the vision of Daniel 7. And he is identifying himself with that very son of man. And the, the high priest understands. So in verse 65, it says, The high priest then tore his robes, which, by the way, was sinful for a high priest to do that, according to, to the law of Moses. But nonetheless, he, he tears his robes. And he says, He has blasphemed. What further need do we have of witnesses? Behold, you have now heard the blasphemy. Now, to be accused of blasphemy is, is to basically, what this means is that the high priest is saying he's claiming to be God. He is claiming to be God, and therefore he is, he is guilty of blasphemy. And so here, the high priest, he understands the significance of what Jesus is doing by identifying himself with the Son of Man. Even the high priest knows that the Son of Man in Daniel 7 is God. And what's interesting is there are some people out there who will say that Jesus never claimed to be God. They'll say that. He never claimed to be God. And, and, and in some respects, it is true that there are no verses where Jesus just plainly says, I am God, I am Yahweh in the Gospels. However, he does claim to be God. One of the examples is right here where he claims to be the Son of Man, who based on Daniel 7 we know is God. He also equates himself with the Father, saying, I and the Father are one. He does miracles that only God can do. There's many other ways in which Jesus proves that he is God, but right here is probably the clearest proof that Jesus claimed he was God. He identifies himself as the Son of Man in Daniel 7. And the fact of the matter is that Jesus is the Son of Man. He is the Son of Man, and so he's not guilty of any blasphemy. He is correctly identifying himself. And there will come a day when he will return in the clouds of heaven. So going back to Daniel 7 now, let me summarize how God is revealed in verses 9 to 14. And I was planning on putting a slide together with bullet points, but ran out of time. So I'll try to, try to go slow enough for you to take notes for those that are taking notes, the, the, the faithful ones that are taking notes, right? So just teasing, just teasing. They're just teasing. But uh, all right, back to Daniel 7. Summarizing how God is revealed in verses 9 to 14, 
we first see that Daniel sees two divine persons, the Ancient of Days, the Son of Man. Based on what we've talked about so far, we can conclude that the Ancient of Days is none other than God the Father. God the Father, and the Son of Man is God the Son, Jesus Christ. Now we know, this is the second point, we know from the New Testament that there is a third divine person who is equally God, and that is the Holy Spirit, but he's not highlighted in this vision. In this vision, the focus is on the two, Father and the Son, and really, it's primarily on the Son who is receiving all this glory and dominion, and that could be the third point, that the focus of this vision is really on the Son of God, Jesus Christ, and how he will receive all glory and dominion from God the Father. Now, as we continue in Daniel 7, the focus is again going to shift to another figure who will become the arch-rival of Jesus Christ. And we've already been introduced to him, the horn, the Antichrist, the beast, but the focus is now going to turn more upon him. So let's continue in verse 15. Verse 15 And here Daniel says, As for me, Daniel, my spirit was distressed within me, and the visions in my mind kept alarming me. I approached one of those who were standing by and began asking him the exact meaning of all of this. So he told me and made known to me the interpretation of these things. These great beasts, which are four in number, are four kings who will arise from the earth. But the saints of the highest one will receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever for all ages to come. So pausing here for a moment, at this point in the vision of Daniel, Daniel is starting to become concerned and the curiosity is becoming too much for him. He just can't take it anymore. He needs to figure out what does this all mean. And so he approaches this other figure who is part of the vision and it's probably an angel that is standing by and so he goes and he asks the angel for an interpretation. How, how, what, what does all of this mean? So the angel, we're assuming it's an angel, gives him a basic understanding. However, there is a part of the vision that is particularly concerning to Daniel. And really, we could argue the source of his concern and distress. And so let's continue in verse, starting and picking back up in verse 19. Where, and we're going to see Daniel's going to go on to describe his thoughts and what he was seeing that really concerned him so much. So Daniel 7, verse 19, Daniel continues, he says, Then I desired to know the exact meaning of the fourth beast, which was different from all the others, exceedingly dreadful, with its teeth of iron and its claws of bronze, and which devoured, crushed, and trampled down the remainder with its feet. And the meaning of the ten horns that were on its head, and the other horn which came up, and before which three of them fell, namely that horn which had eyes and a mouth uttering great boasts, and which was larger in appearance than its associates. I kept looking, and that horn was waging war with the saints and overpowering them. Until the Ancient of Days came and judgment was passed in favor of the saints of the highest one. And the time arrived when the saints took possession of the kingdom. So pausing here, 
There seems to be at least two things that concern Daniel in this vision. At least two things. Two things that concern Daniel. The first thing being that this, this it's really this fourth beast. This fourth beast who Daniel describes as extremely powerful and dreadful that conquers all the other beasts that came before it. And you see that in verse 19. The fourth beast who's extremely powerful and dreadful. And then the second thing that concerns Daniel is the horn of the beast who really represents the entire beast as its leader. So the horse, the, the horn can be equated with the beast, can stand in place of the beast. And what concerns him about the horn is that he sees the horn waging war and overpowering the saints. And that's what we see in verse 21, that he overpowers the saints of God, the followers of God. Now, according to verse 22, the war against the saints does not last forever. And eventually, the saints are delivered by God and given a part in God's kingdom. And we see that in verse 22. Nevertheless, for a period of time, for a period of time, the horn, this Antichrist, will wage war against the followers of God and will have success. Now, I know we talked about this horn a little bit last week. And next week, when we get into Daniel 8, we're going to get a very detailed picture of this Antichrist, a very detailed profile of this Antichrist. But I want to reread one passage that we read last week and make a few important observations that relate to Daniel 7. So in your Bible, you can turn to Revelation 13. Revelation 13, verses 1 to 8. And by the way, if you're like racing to take notes and you're really OCD about it and you like want to complete, I'll leave my notes up here at the, at the end of the message and you can come up and fill in any blanks and stuff. Usually they're, they're in red in my notes. So, um, But all right, Revelation 13, verses 1 to 8. It says, And the dragon, and by the way, this dragon in Revelation is identified as Satan, the serpent of old. And so in verse 1, the dragon stood on the sand of the seashore. Then I saw a beast coming up out of the sea, having ten horns and seven heads. And on his horns were ten diadems or crowns, and on his heads were blasphemous names. And the beast which I saw was like a leopard, and his feet were like those of a bear, and his mouth like the mouth of a lion." So all the, all the other beasts, there's a part of those beasts in this fourth beast. It's kind of like a mixture of all, of all the, the first three, signifying that he has conquered all of them. And then it says in the second part of verse 2, And the dragon gave him power and his throne and great authority. I saw one of his heads as if it had been slain, and his fatal wound was healed. And the whole earth was amazed and followed after the beast." They worshiped the dragon because he gave his authority to the beast, and they worshiped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast, and who is able to wage war with him? There was given to him a mouth speaking arrogant words and blasphemies, and authority to act for 42 months was given to him. And he opened his mouth in blasphemies against God to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle, that is, those who dwell in heaven. It was also given to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. 
and authority over every tribe and people and tongue and nation was given to him. All who dwell on the earth will worship him, everyone whose name has not been written from the foundation of the world in the book of the life, the book of life of the Lamb who has been slain. So we read this passage, a few important observations to make. First being that we see that this beast, this first beast in Revelation 13, is the same beast, the same as the fourth beast in Daniel 7. It's the same beast. And the second thing that we see is just like the Son of Man who receives glory and authority from the Ancient of Days, the beast receives power and authority from the dragon. He receives power and authority from his father, the devil. So it's similar. We see that correlation. A third thing that we see, another correlation between the beast and the Son of God, is that in the same way that Jesus was killed and raised to life on the third day, the beast will receive a fatal wound that he will be healed from. And then we saw that in verse 3 of Revelation 13. So there's indication that this Antichrist will receive a mortal wound, perhaps even die, and then be either miraculously healed or even raised back from the dead. Of course, all in the power of Satan. And then another point to observe is just like the Ancient of Days and Son of Man share glory together and they share praise from the saints of God, we see in Revelation 13 that the dragon and beast will receive equal worship from all unbelievers. And so we see all these points of of correlation to to where we can really say that this Antichrist, this beast, he is a wicked and counterfeit Christ. He's a wicked and counterfeit Christ, and this is why he is called the Antichrist. He mimics Jesus Christ. He he presents himself, and he will present himself like Jesus Christ. He will claim to be God, and of course, then worship will also go to Satan at that time. And so we see these correlations. This, This Antichrist truly is an Antichrist. He's a counterfeit version of Jesus Christ who operates in the power of Satan. Now going back to Daniel 7, in our final few minutes, let's finish up the vision and, re- and read a little bit more about this Antichrist in the kingdom, and we'll try to go through quickly for the sake of time. So Daniel 7, picking back up in verse 23, And this is more of the interpretation. So here, verse 23, is going to record this angel giving his interpretation. It says, Thus he said, The fourth beast will be a fourth kingdom on the earth, which will be different from all the kingdoms and will devour the whole earth and tread it down and crush it. As for the ten horns, out of his kingdom ten kings will arise, and another king will arise after them, and he will be different from the previous ones and will subdue three kings." He will speak out against the Most High and wear down the saints of the highest one. And he will intend to make alterations in times and in law, and they will be given into his hand for a time, times, and half a time. A few things about this ver- these verses. We see that this horn will intend to make alterations in times and in law. 
What that simply refers to is the fact that this Antichrist will overthrow all religion when he comes to power. And if you remember from the passage that we read at the beginning of service from 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, that's what it describes, that this Antichrist will place himself in the temple of God and claim to be God, setting himself up against every so-called God and even the true God in heaven. Another thing that we see here is that it says that he will have power for time, times, and a half a time. Now this is, I'll just give it to you simply. So according to Daniel in the book of Revelation, each time equals one year. So when it says that it will be for a time that's one year, times is two year, you get the plural there, and then half a time is half a year. And so you add all that up, this Antichrist will have power for three and a half years. Three and a half years, or as Revelation 13 says, 42 months, which is just another way of saying three and a half years. So that's what this reveals, that he will have authority for three and a half years. And during that time, during that three and a half years, he will conquer the world. He will establish a global government with him at the, at the head of it. And he will successfully persecute the followers of God. But the hope and the reality is that this power and persecution will not last forever. Let's now read the last few verses of Daniel 7. So Daniel 7, starting back in verse 26, it says, But the court will sit for judgment, going, referring back to the Ancient of Days, sitting on his throne, and his, that is the Antichrist, his dominion will be taken away annihilated and destroyed forever. Then the sovereignty, the dominion, and the greatness of all the kingdoms under the whole heaven will be given to the people of the saints of the highest one. His kingdom, that is the kingdom of the highest one, will be an everlasting kingdom, and all the dominions will serve and obey him. At this point, the revelation ended. As for me, Daniel, my thoughts were greatly alarming me, and my face grew pale but I kept the matter to myself. So again, as we read these last few verses, the dominion of the Antichrist will not last forever. And when the Ancient of Days takes his seat and sends Jesus Christ back to earth, the Antichrist will be destroyed and his power defeated. And then finally, his saints, his followers, those who stand strong in their faith, who do not worship the Antichrist and who resist his persecution, they will inherit the world alongside Jesus Christ. In fact, I want to give you one verse to conclude, or really one passage to conclude our message tonight, and that is from Revelation chapter 2, verses 26 to 29, and this is really a promise for all of us, even us today as we still look forward into the future. So Revelation 2, verses 26 to 29, and this is Jesus speaking here. He says, He who overcomes and he who keeps my deeds until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron as the vessels of the potter are broken to pieces. 
as I also have received authority from my Father, and I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So as we conclude, really the biggest point of application and what we need to pray for, for us personally, is that God will give us the faith to overcome. That whether we receive persecution now or in the future, that we will stand firm and stay faithful to God and receive the deliverance and the blessing that awaits the faithful. Let us pray to God for those things. Lord God, as we conclude this chapter in Daniel, we want to first thank you for the opportunity to study your word, that, Lord, you have preserved your word, that although Daniel initially kept this vision to himself, as we read, it wasn't for long, and he did write it down, and he did preserve it in, 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 in your word, and then you preserved your word even to this day. And so now, Lord, we're able to study this and gain the insight and wisdom that comes from it. And so, Lord, although there's a reality that right now the kingdoms of the world are, are, not, that are not under the author, full authority of Jesus Christ, that they are still, there are still demonic forces that are at work in this world, we know from your word that Jesus Christ will return and he will once and for all fully establish his kingdom. And so, Lord, I just pray as believers in you and as citizens of your kingdom that you would help us remain strong in the face of any persecution and that you would help us remain faithful. And Lord, also that you would just continue to give us knowledge and insight into your, world, into your word. Lord, I pray for all the students here and the adults that you would be with them, that you would bless them, and that you would really shine your face upon them as, as is said in, in your word. We pray all these things in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the East Memorial Student Podcast. For more information and updates about East Memorial Student Ministries, please visit our website at eastmemorial.org. You can also follow us on our Instagram page titled EMBC Student.